Love goes deeper than the world. John writes with fatherly affection. And John tells his little children to not love the world. And John wants their love to go deeper. And the reason why I put that statement up there is because I believe there's sort of a tone to John's uh, writing as, as in this letter. And we'll draw some comparisons from 1 John and Philippians chapter 2 in just a few moments. But the three points we want to take a look at, John is going to write with fatherly care and instruction. He's going to be urging them to make a choice, and then he wants them to avoid the tragedy of shallow desires. So I'm going to go ahead and put up that first point there. Before we jump right into 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to draw your attention over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Because both are writing to Christians. And Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, he tells them that they have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so Peter's saying, you escaped. You managed to get free from the corruption. The corruption that he's talking about there is, is like moral decay. And he says, you've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lust is like that strong desire. And through that, Satan can kind of hold us in the world and in a worldly way of thinking. But Peter tells them on that occasion, you escaped. So in 1 John chapter 2, John says, love not the world. And what he is saying is, don't love the way the world thinks and the way the world acts and the things that they chase after. And we're so so surrounded by the world and its way of thinking that it's easy for us to get caught up in those things. And I believe that's the reason why Peter uses the kind of language that he does when he says, you escaped. (laughs) It's like you were being held in prison and you managed to get out. And it says the way that you were being held there was through the lust that's in the world, that strong desire. And so Satan tries to get us focused on the wrong things. So our focus needs to change. And I believe that's the point that John is going to be making in 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world. Your focus needs to change. I'm going to give you an illustration. A little over 30 years ago, my wife and I, our son, moved into the house, the neighborhood that we still live in. Son's moved off to Kentucky, but we're still there. (laughs) He was just under two years old at the time when we moved in. And it just so happened that was a new street, a new development, and all the houses up and down there, there were still open lots. Some of the houses were there. But generally speaking, as it turned out, on that particular street that we lived in, most of the families that were moving in were all young couples, either just married or, like us, been married for a little while with small children. Now, I want to be careful how I say this, because I don't want it to sound like being prideful or something. But I guess there's a certain amount of pride goes in it, so... (laughs) 
So here we are, and we're 30-ish. Just built this house. And most of the people that are living on the street, kind of same scenario. Since that period of time, there's been most of them that have moved on. The guy down the street that I'm going to tell you about in just a minute, he started his own business, is doing very well. If I gave you his name, you'd probably recognize it, but I'm not advertising this morning, so. <laughs> the guy across the street, they moved, and I've heard that they've, they've done well and, and those kind of things. So, basically, looking at it from a worldly standpoint, things were going pretty good. Some of the guys on the block, we were just kind of getting to know each other. And we decided it might be fun one evening to go out to a Royals game. Royal blue, right? So you get together, wear your Royal blue. The guy that lived right across the street, this is about 1990. He has a 1988 or 89. They look pretty similar. Coupe de Ville. Cadillac, young guy, new house, young family. He's driving a coupe, and it's a nice one, and it's powder blue. So here's four guys wearing royal blue, hopping into a powder blue Cadillac, headed to the game. Got the picture? From a worldly standpoint, that's looking pretty good. So as we head out of the neighborhood, the guy that yelled shotgun, and from here forth, I'm going to call him Mr. Friendly because he's the extrovert in the group. Before we can get out of the neighborhood, he says, guys, you want to stop by the store? Well, I hadn't been a Christian that long. <laughs> I knew what stop by the store meant. <laughs> I just kind of sitting there going, oh. <laughs> the others go, yeah. So we pull into Quick Trip, he jumps out, runs in, comes back out, and starts passing out adult beverages, shall we say? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I hope we make it to the game. <laughs> we get there safely, just about the time it's starting, and we head down the concourse, and before we get to our seats, somebody else says, hey, you want to stop at the snack bar? Well, you know what that's for. So I get a Coke, we head on down to our seats, and here's the way it goes. Now, we're sitting in nice seats. The neighbor from down the street, the one I told you about, very, very successful, he went in first and sat down there. Mr. Friendly sat next to him. And then it was me, and then it was the guy with the powder blue Cadillac on this side. Mr. Friendly's been carrying a bag. I don't know what's in the bag. But he sets down his drink, and he opens up the bag, and he pulls out Binoculars. Now, we're sitting in pretty good seats. We're not in the nosebleed section. He pulls out the binoculars and he starts to look around, but I notice out of the corner of my eye, he's not looking at the field. Guess where he's looking? <laughs> he's checking out the crowd. And in just a minute, he hits the guy next to him. And he hands him the binoculars. He said, visitor's dugout, three rows up, right in the middle. Check her out. And he hands him the binoculars. At the same time, he looks at me. He goes, hey, Larry. Now, we don't know each other all that well, right? Hey, Larry. What do you do with your weekends? 
You into fishing? You into golf? What are you into? I thought, well, now's as good a time as any to break the ice, right? (laughs) So I looked at him and I said, well, this Sunday, I'm preaching. (laughs) He says, preaching? I go, yeah. And so I proceed to explain to him, at that time in my life, preaching occasionally, various small congregations around. And from there, it's kind of like, uh, anybody bring peanuts? You know? (laughs) (laughs) We actually had an enjoyable evening. But I never got invited to go to the game again. (laughs) But let me just say this. I'm not trying to be critical of those guys because it wasn't that long ago before that I was one of those guys. Peter says, you escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's what John's talking about too. So he's going to write. And he's going to offer instruction. But he's urging them to cling to the choice that they've made. Don't love the world. So in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, as I suggested in our introductory slide, I believe there's a tone that John is writing with. And most readily agree that John is older, he's elderly, and he's writing to these Christians, and he's going to talk about little children, he's going to talk about young men, and then he's going to talk about fathers, and most everybody agrees. That's kind of spiritual stages of development. But also in verse 1 of chapter 2, he addresses the entire group as my little children. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of affection. It shows the concern that he has for them. But now down in verse 15... He says, love not the world. And most commentators will tell you that when John says that love not the world, that is a direct statement. (laughs) Some suggest it's sober, it's serious, it's stern. But, most agree, it's tempered with care and concern. Because he's writing to his little children. And it's like that father that's saying, don't do that. Don't love the world. Sometimes words can get sort of pulled out of context. And we focus in just on that word. But what I'm suggesting is to, to you is you need to keep that in the context of what John is saying. 
And it's very similar to what the Apostle Paul says when he writes to the church at Philippi. Because in Philippians chapter 2, he's writing to them, and he says, just as you have obeyed in my presence, and that word obeyed means that you responded the way I wanted you to. Just as you obeyed in my presence, now much more in my absence. But others suggest there's context and there's tone to Philippians 2 also. Because in Philippians chapter 2 and, and, and uh, or in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, I thank my God for you in my remembrance. See, Paul was there, Acts the 16th chapter, when that church started in Philippi. This is probably 12 to 15 years later. He's now writing to them from a prison in Rome. And he says, I thank God for you. When I think back and when I think about you and the support that the church had given to him, he said, I thank God for you in my remembrance. In verse 7, he'll go on to say, I have you in my heart. And in verse 8 he says, I long for you. I remember you. I have you in my heart. I long for you. And then it's in chapter 2 where he says, You obeyed in my presence when I was with you. Now much more in my absence. What's interesting about that word that he uses there in Philippians 2, that word obey, it's also used in other places and it's translated answer. Answer. Here's where it's used. Acts the 12th chapter. There was persecution that was, being, that was going on in Jerusalem at that time by Herod. James had been put to death. Peter was locked in prison. But an angel comes and lets him out. He escapes. And he goes to the house of Mary, who is the mother of John Mark. And he knows some are assembled there. And he's outside and he's knocking on the gate. And then pretty soon, a servant girl, it says, answered the door. That word answered, same word that Paul uses in Philippians 2. She obeyed. She heard and she responded. One writer suggested it this way. It's like saying, I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear and I want you to respond. And he said, when you read Philippians 2, insert the word listen there. And Paul will say, you listened to me when I was with you. Listen to me. When I'm not with you. I have you in my remembrance. You are in my heart. 
I long for you. Listen to me. And that's the tone. And so when you come to 1 John chapter 2, John's words, love not the world. Yes, it's a direct statement. But keep in context the words and where they are being spoken. Sometimes I think it might be like this and I think we can relate. You ever send a text to somebody and somehow it ends up being understood differently than the way that you intended it? And whenever you get together, they'll say, well, I guess the tone was lost, right? Something got lost in the translation. So all I'm suggesting is, is as you read 1 John chapter 2, when he says, love not the world, keep in mind he's writing to my little children. He is older. He has a concern. He has a love, a care for them. And so he's encouraging them, listen to me. <laughs> love not the world. But when John talks about the world there in chapter 15, we also, or chapter, verse 15, chapter 2, we also have to keep in mind that that Greek word cosmos is used a couple ways in the New Testament. One way in which the word world is used, and John uses it on another occasion, John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world, <laughs> that means those who inhabit mankind. God so loved the world that he gave his begotten son, only begotten son. So John's not telling him, don't love those people. But there's another way in which the word world is used in the New Testament. And that is that worldly way of thinking. It is the world's value system. And what the world believes is important and that we should chase after. It's oftentimes used in direct opposition to God and what He values and what His will and His purpose is for us. And so John says, love not the world. Don't love that value system. Don't love the things of the world. Later on in chapter 5, he will say that the whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. That way of thinking, that value system, that's controlled by Satan. So he's saying, don't love that. Because if you do, that's decay. That's what Peter's talking about. That's the corruption that is in the world. And Peter says you escaped that. You were being held there by lust. Strong desire for that worldly value system. And the way the world thinks that's under the control of Satan. And so John, with fatherly concern and love, tells them, love not the world. 
So he wants them to make a choice. Chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So what John is saying is we are living in the world, (laughs) but I don't want you to be of the world. I want you to make a choice. And you need to see where you should be standing. But the question is this. How do we know who's in control of our world? Personally. Verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those cravings, those desires, that sinful lusting, that boasting, that doesn't come from the Father. That's from the world. That's from Satan. And so he lists those three. Now, another writer suggested, he said, in order to kind of wrap our minds around this, in order to grasp this, He said, I sometimes phrase it this way. Instead of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of the life, I list it this way. The desire to do, the desire to have, and the desire to be. Think about that. And we'll go down through this. The lust of the flesh the desire to do. The lust of the eyes, the desire to have. The pride of life, the desire to be. Lust of the flesh, the desire to do. Lust, in Greek, suggests not just simply desire, as Paul or as John is using it here. But it means strong desire. It's overly focused desire. It's desire taken to an unhealthy extreme. Desire, as God has given it, starts out healthy. But it becomes, as some suggest, hyper-focused. Now it can be hyper-focused on the wrong things or it can even be focused on right things but exaggerated. becomes hyper to where it becomes harmful. So when we think about desire in and of itself it's not sinful. We have desires that are given to us from God. We have a desire to eat. We have a desire to drink, to work, to sleep, to play, to build, to procreate, to achieve in life. Natural desires. God-given desires. But what does Satan want to do with it? He wants to take those natural desires, pervert them, twist them, 
exaggerate them so that they become unnatural. And listen to what one writer says. To the point where they become subhuman. You know what he's saying? When we have natural desires and use them under God's control, He will help us to achieve all that we can achieve. He will help us to do all that we can do. And to be all that He desires for us to be. But when it becomes lustful, hyper-focused, exaggerated, it won't make you more. It will make you less. And you see that? Desire out of control will make you less human, not more human. So the first hyper-desire that he talks about is the lust of the flesh. And that's the sensual side of our nature. And it includes includes pleasure. But once again, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with pleasure. God gave us taste buds. He gave us eardrums. He gave us nerve endings. We live in a physical world. We are physical beings. And the way in which we experience physically can be through pleasure. But Satan would take those things, twist them, pervert them to where they become harmful. Food is good. Until we're out of control with it. Working to achieve is good. Unless we become hyper-focused on it. Sensual desire, pleasure, set within God's boundaries is good. Taken out of bounds to excess, it becomes sinful. Pleasure. Hyper-exaggerated. That's why it's so easy for human beings to become addicted. To seek after pleasure. Drugs. Alcohol. Sex. Hyper-exaggerated. The second worldly desire is the lust of the flesh or lust of the eye it's that desire to have once again just desire in and of itself is not wrong but keep in mind also this desire is not so much towards sensation or experience but simply towards to possess it's the desire to have That's why we have commercials. Do you have one of these? 
Everybody's got one of these. And everybody that doesn't have one of these, they want one of these. Do you have one of these? You need one of these. And they hyper-focus on that. It's the desire to have. You need to have this. Life will be more. You will be more if you have this. Once again, there's nothing wrong with possessions. And as you look through the Scriptures, there's wealthy people. It's the unhealthy desire. The hyper desire to have just for the sake of having is when it becomes simple. When it becomes more important to have things than it is to have a relationship with God. Things can't make you better than what God has already made you. But, as one person said, hyper-desire for things can make you less than what God made you. When our value system says we are what we possess. Our value system should be based on who possesses us, who we belong to. So the second one, lust of the eye, is the desire to have. The third one, the worldly desire, the pride of life, is the desire to be. And that's the desire that we have to succeed in life, to achieve in life, to be recognized in life. It's the desire to be. That's the pride of life. Look at me. Don't you want to be me? There's nothing wrong with a job that is well done or there's nothing wrong with achieving or being successful or reaching a milestone that we've been reaching for. There's nothing wrong with accepting congratulations or accolades from others when it's rightly deserved. God's given us desire to achieve, to have influence, to impact others, to accomplish in life. But it's when that desire becomes so strong that we're willing to bend the rules in order to achieve that it can become wrong. Or when we have to beat everybody else so that we feel good about ourselves. Or we look down on others that haven't achieved as much as we've achieved in life. That's when it becomes simple. That's when self-approval and approval of others becomes more important than approval from God. You remember Diotrephes? That's the world. That's their way of thinking. That's Satan. He wants to take what's natural 
and then twist it to unnatural, to make it destructive. To live for pleasure. To live for having things. Or to live just to be. Probably a lot. And chances are, we probably all struggle with one or more of those, don't we? It doesn't ever just go away. But John wants them to keep focused on the right things and he wants them to make a choice. let me give you this other illustration you ever been to the lake or the ocean or whatever and you're standing on the dock and the boat is right there beside the dock and you decide to step in and right there at that moment for whatever reason there's kind of a hesitation And as you're standing there, somebody's already cut the boat loose. And it starts to go out this way. And you've got one foot in the boat. And you've got one foot on the dock. It's decision time. Are you throwing into the boat? Or are you throwing back on the dock? Now some might say, wait a minute. John says, love not the world. And he wants them to make the decision clear cut that they should love the Father. So are you saying with one foot in the boat and one on the dock, you can just make up your mind, you just choose which way you want to go? No, I don't think that's John's point. Because we didn't read down through verse 18. In verse 18, he says, It is the last hour. You know what he's saying? It's decision time. That's what he's saying. Don't love the world. Love God. It's clear. Which way are you going? You know what John's saying? You don't want to miss the boat. Ever heard anybody say that? That ship sailed. And you missed it. So John is trying to urge them. Make the choice. Make the right choice. So what he wants them to do is to avoid the tragedy of shallow desire. 1 John 2 and verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. There it is, clear cut. The world and all those things, that are they're passing away. They're just temporal. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And so what John is urging is is that you need to change your focus from temporal things to eternal things. You need to change your value system from a worldly value system to a godly value system. 
Because the world and Satan and all these other things eventually are going to pass away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It's the same point the Apostle Paul makes over in 1 Timothy 4. When he says, bodily exercise profits little. But godliness is profitable for all things. For this life and the one that is to come. So Paul's saying, choice godliness, it'll not only benefit you now, it'll benefit you in eternity. And John's saying, he who does the will of God abides forever. So let me run this by you again. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Pleasure, possessions, and pride. The desires to do, to have, and to be. They were never given as the goal of life. And they were never meant to satisfy, but rather to point us towards the one who can satisfy. Have you ever said or have you ever heard someone say, I want more out of life? Ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've said, I want more out of life. You know what John's saying? The more is not found in this world. The more is not found in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's not going to satisfy you. Because those things were never given to satisfy you. Because you are more than that. That's what he wants them to understand. If you want to be satisfied, you got to look someplace else. You got to look beyond this world. The more is found in loving God. Loving the world and what it offers is too shallow. So John's saying, you want more? I want you to have more. See, because what he wants us to see is the problem with pleasure and possessions and pride isn't just that they're wrong. They're not enough. (laughs) They're not enough. They don't last. They won't satisfy. Pleasure is fleeting. Ask someone, and I'm not being critical. I'm just saying their focus is in the wrong place. Ask someone who gets high. It's great for a moment. But when you come down, I'm looking for the next time. Pleasure doesn't last. 
possessions. You ever bought a new car? (laughs) You ever bought a new suit? (laughs) Or a new dress? And for a moment, that's real enjoyable. I saw (laughs) at camp a few years ago, Women, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying you're competitive. <laughs> Two girls are out on on uh, the four-square court, right? <laughs> That's why we're down there. We just got to camp. It's like the first day, and everybody's down there around the court, and this one girl comes walking up, and she's wearing new tennis shoes. And one girl says to her, Oh, those are so cute. I almost bought those shoes. And the girl just kind of beams, and then she says, but I found a cuter pair. (laughs) There went that balloon. (laughs) There's that temporary sort of enjoyment from those possessions, but that don't last because they get old. And achievements... They don't last either. You know who won the 1969 World Series? Brian probably knows. (laughs) It's the Miracle Mets. (laughs) But that's the only reason why anybody remembers. (laughs) So I'd ask who won the 1968 World Series. Everybody's like, I don't know. That recognition doesn't last. Remember the stars last year? Are the ones before that, and it's that fading glory, isn't it? Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. The writer says, He has set, talking about us, <laughs> He has set eternity in their hearts. You know what that means? That while you're chasing after pleasure, while you're chasing after things, while you're chasing after achievement, men are still thinking, what happens when this life's over? This doesn't satisfy. See, it's not really pleasure. Oh, Satan wants us to chase pleasure. It's not really pleasure that we're looking for. It's joy. Because joy is not based upon external. Joy comes from internal. And that can last forever. It's not really more stuff that we need. We need contentment because when this stuff is gone I can be content remember what Paul said I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content as he wrote from a prison cell (laughs) it's not achievement that we're really after It's significance. And you want to know where that's found? In a relationship 
with God. And you know what the amazing thing about that is? You don't have to achieve anything before He loves you. He loves you for who you are. The way you are. He just wants you to know where you can find joy. He wants you to know where you can find contentment. He wants you to know you are significant. That's why he sent his son. So in chapter 5, verse 19, John says the whole world lies under the influence of the wicked one. See, Satan wants us distracted by doing, by having, by being. Because he knows if we keep chasing those shallow things, we'll never go any deeper to find joy and contentment and significance. That's found in a relationship with God. So John writes... Love not the world because those pleasures and those possessions and those achievements they're passing away. The love of the Father let your love go deeper because that's where you find joy and contentment and significance. So John writes With fatherly love and fatherly concern, love not the world. And he's wanting to make a choice, the right choice. That's the choice that's offered this morning. It's offered to you. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you've never made that choice, we encourage you to do that. Even this very day, we'd love to assist you in helping you make that choice and that decision. If you're a child of God and you need to come back to him, we can help with that. That's what we're here for. The invitation is yours while together we stand. And while we sing.